Welcome to uh, Dialogue, a podcast from An American Mosaic. This episode uh, is the second in what has turned out to be a a great uh, event series, uh, Dialogue uh, events from An American Mosaic. Uh, This uh, podcast is uh, on the subject of uh, voting, uh, why it counts. And uh, we've got a great uh, group of uh, eight panelists uh, from uh, around the country, uh, diverse people in, in age, uh, race, and uh, gender, uh, talking about uh, the subject of voting, which is so, so important today. And uh, again, uh, like our first uh, event, um, which was on race, Uh, These are people that are speaking from uh, their experiences and uh, their thoughts and views and opinions uh, on voting. Um, It's uh, something where uh, it's very honest and very open and uh, a great discussion, perhaps one of the better uh, conversations on voting today. These are uh, virtual uh, Zoom events. And uh, you can uh, find information uh, at uh, eventbrite.com, an American mosaic, and uh, it's dialogue uh, hyphenated. Again, it's eventbrite.com, and it's an American mosaic uh, dialogue. The next uh, virtual event uh, coming up in early uh, September is on uh, the topic of jobs. Uh, Where have they gone? I hope you can uh, join us uh, for that one. And uh, also, uh, if I could ask you to, uh, if you like this podcast series, uh, please subscribe and tell your friends. And also, there's uh, a lot of podcasts uh, back uh, at the very beginning that are very, very good conversations with people around the country. I want to take a moment here to... uh, just say, please, please uh, vote. Uh, make sure you register to vote. Uh, and every place has a little bit uh, different uh, ground rules for voting. And um, you can find information at uh, I Will Vote. Uh, if you hashtag I Will Vote, you will find information on uh, registering in your particular state. Uh, it's very important uh, deadlines for registering and getting information about uh, voting by mail and absentee voting, um, which is essentially the same thing. But do make sure, because uh, the voting is going to be challenged um, this uh, coming election more than it ever has been in the past, and I think that's become obvious. So uh, please uh, turn out and, and vote. We all have a lot at stake in this uh, coming election uh, this November. So uh, here is the uh, full uh, uncut audio uh, from uh, the live uh, virtual event. It's a little bit long, so you may want to listen to it in uh, two or three sessions. Well, welcome, everybody, to uh, our second uh, dialogue event. And uh, we're talking about a very important subject today, uh, voting and uh, why it counts. And um, this is a kind of a, an extension of uh, a project that uh, I started about three years ago. And <clears throat> I've been going around the country, uh, having conversations with people all walks of life uh, about uh, things that are, uh, matter to them. And one of the things that uh, I have talked to people about is uh, 
voting and the subject of voting and uh, whether or not they voted. And uh, so uh, this kind of led to uh, today's conversation. And in, in, in today's world, um, we're uh, certainly aware of voting and we're aware of uh, uh more than the usual, I think, and uh, maybe the importance of voting. And uh, some of the people I did talk to uh, did say that uh, they believed that there was an awareness now of voting like there has never been before. And, and I think more people maybe will be coming out to vote. But uh, it's also become very uh, uh, politicized, just uh, the act of voting, I guess, in, in today's environment. So we've got a great panel of people here, uh, I think, uh, that can add to the conversation. And uh, hopefully uh, what we'll do is inspire people uh, to maybe vote. And I'd like to uh, uh, introduce uh, the moderator who's uh, Sharon, Sharon uh, Nairi Williams. And Sharon and I kind of uh, connected uh, on something because uh, we're both kind of storytellers and uh, we tell stories in a little bit of a different way. And uh, Sharon is a is a, a storyteller and a communicator and uh, and also a performance artist and uh, I tell stories actually other people's stories because I've been collecting stories so I just put stories out uh, uh, from all the people that I've talked to so I think I'm going to just turn this over uh, Sharon and uh, you can kind of take it from here thank you John. Um, for having me and thank you everyone um, for being here with us today. Um, I just wanna say, um, I just voted on Thursday <laughs> and uh, uh, it meant a lot and it always means a lot. And the reason why voting means a lot to me and, and how it was ingrained in me was through my grandmother. Um, she, I always remember her working the polls and um, and so ever since then, that's all I can remember. My grandmother worked the polls years for years and years. She probably would still do it if we would allow her, but we won't. Um, and so it just has meant that much to me. And also in being black and knowing the struggle that it has taken for us to get voting rights as both a black woman, um, it, as both black and being a woman um, means that I must um, I must vote. Um, and so uh, that's what gets me excited about this conversation. And also, um, I love, like John said, I love talking to people and hearing their perspectives. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, I want, and uh, I will be remiss if I didn't acknowledge um, the late John Lewis and all that he had done for us to be able to vote and for us as a people and creating policies um, and things for everyone, for, for us to be better than what we are. So um, may he rest in peace and may we continue to honor his legacy by um, voting. Um, and uh, like he said, if you see something, say something um, and get into some good trouble. Um, uh, so um, for the audience today, uh, I would like to invite you to be a part of the conversation via the chat box um, that will come up. I mean, th 
via the Q&A box. Um, if you look at the bottom of your screen, there should be a Q&A button. If you just hit that, um, you can put that in the box and, and we will address them as soon as we can. Um, we may not get to every question, but um, we, we will do our best to get to make sure that your question is heard by the um, panelists. Um, also, um, this is a safe space. And the only thing that we asked of our um, panelists is that they are human and that they have some type of passion or opinion around voting. And so that's how we came here today. Um, and this is a respectful conversation. Um, these are the opinions and they are speaking on their opinions and their experiences. Um, and so we will go with that. Um, and uh, so, hey, let's get this party started. It's Saturday. Um, we are breathing. Um, I'm pumped. Let's go. Um, we're going to start off by... Um, by introducing our panelists. And um, the first person I would like to introduce to you today is Mira. Mira is uh, in New Hampshire right now uh, and is consistently working through cooking all the recipes and Yodam. You know what, Mira? I can't say it. Can you please say their name for me? Yeah, it's Yodam Adelangi and Sammy Tamimi's cookbook, Jerusalem. Thank you. Uh, um, Mira, she, her, is her pronouns, is a cisgender mixed race woman, South Asian and white, who creates spaces for people to share their gifts with the world, professionally is an event planner, and facilitates a technology program for film and non-binary youths ages 13 to 18, formerly worked on political campaigns. Thank you for being with us, Mira. Um, so why does politics and voting, what does that mean to you? I mean, what doesn't it mean to me? It feels, it's so powerful, voting is so powerful and also feels like the chicken and egg question like, what are our policies? And if we haven't voted for people who enact those policies, how has that been? And it's so important because of all the work that people do to suppress other people's ability to vote. Um, I, yeah, it just like, that's one of those things, like knowing the structures and the systems that are in place to keep people from voting and knowing how hard it is. Like the, I worked in an industry where our job was to get people turned out and voting. And the way that we did that, like sometimes I really just didn't like it. I didn't like that you break people up into persuadable voters or voters that you just need to turn out. I don't like that people work so many jobs they don't know when election day is coming. And that was one of those moments for me, like working in political campaigns, it's very easy to remember to vote. But the second you leave it, how hard it is. Why isn't it election day a holiday? Why don't we protect people's right to vote? Why isn't there mail-in voting in every state that gets stamped? Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I think about this a lot and I get really frustrated and, um, you know, all of the things that need to be done. And just big shout out to the census. <laughs> please, please fill that out if you haven't done it yet, because that ties into voting in 
an integral way. And it's how you draw your maps, you get your, your congressional representatives. Again, there's just so much there. But those are a couple of things that I think about when I think about voting. Also, I love the gossip. Like, it's so good to go through a ballot and do all of my research and be like, oh, who's this person? What did they mean? There's a person named Good Space Guy who consistently runs for governor in, in Washington state. Uh, like those people, Mwah. Berman Supreme is probably my favorite presidential candidate of all time. He wears a, um, a boot on his head and throws glitter on people. Just, there's, so, there's so much good stuff in voting. Like, why shouldn't you pay attention to it? <laughs> oh, oh, God, Mira, thank you. Uh, you just gave me a whole new perspective on voting. I've been so serious. Yes, I have to vote. And it's like, no, glitter, everything. Yes. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, also, you know, the, the mailing ballots are important, but uh, I have to say that in Washington State, when we went to mail-in ballots, I was so hot. I was so mad. I was like, no, I want to go to the polls. It's a process. I need to see the people. It's community. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay. Um, all right. I, 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 it's okay that I sit at my table with my Coke and, um, and, and do my ballot. Uh, thank you, Mira. Next, we have Richard. Um, Richard Marks uh, lived almost of his life in Washington State, I retired from a career in hospital administration and healthcare management. Bless you for that. I voted all my, he, he's voted all his adult life, but only participating in voting related activities in the past few years. I've done some work with voter registration and supporting specific candidates. How are you doing, Richard? Thank you. How's the weather in Seattle? And um, tell us something. <laughs> okay. I, uh, it's a beautiful rainy day, just what you want in Seattle. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten involved in voting in the really in voting activity really only in the last few years. Um, but you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought about in third grade, I got to vote. Now it didn't count, but I did get to vote in a class election where we were supposed to vote for the president. And at that time, the candidates were Adlai Stevenson, a Democrat, running against Dwight Eisenhower, the incumbent president, a Republican. And I was one of three kids in my class of 30 who voted for Stevenson. And that kind of characterized an outsider status that I felt up until, I don't know, maybe when Barack Obama was finally <laughs> elected. Um, but it also sort of, my mother was one of the few Democrats in this small Eastern Washington town, which was very conservative. And she kind of instilled in me the sense that Voting is important. Your vote will matter. Sometimes you think it doesn't matter, but it will matter. And, um, you know, that carried, I carried that forward into my adult life. And um, the last couple of years, I've been much more concerned about what's happening in terms of the 
process to erode the, the, the validity and trust in our electoral process and the, the work that's been done to suppress voting. And I know from, you know, kind of all the years of watching the civil rights movement, et cetera, that this has been going on for generations um, for many people in this country. As a privileged white male, I hadn't seen it as you know, clearly as I have in the last four or five years. And so um, I'm very concerned about kind of where the country's going. It, to me, voting is a serious topic. It's great, you know, that good space guy is on the ballot and that there are wackos on the ballot. But at the end of the day, the policies really matter. And, you know, our what this country does in the world matters. And so voting matters. Mm. Thank you, Richard. Um, yes, enjoy that. It was raining here last night in North Carolina. <laughs> I was like, no, no, that is not how this is supposed to go. Um, <laughs> uh, now we have Courtney who, Courtney, I just want to apologize for you, to you personally. And it's not really all my fault, but um, because you are a rising senior at Vanderbilt University, I want to apologize for the state of the country and that in going into your senior year, um, you deserve better. Um, and um, so I'm gonna do my part. I'm gonna wear my mask. I'm going to um, social distance. I'm going to do all of that in honor of you and all the students who should have the ability to go to school, but because we couldn't get this right, um, we'll have to figure it out and play it by ear. Um, but it's a lot like life. So you're getting a real life lesson without even going to school yet. Um, uh, Courtney was born and raised on the West Coast, but her family is recently made the pilgrimage back to the South. Arkansas to be exact. And she must say it's grown on her. When I'm not, when she's not canvassing, phone banking, or digital organizing, she is diving headfirst into her LSATs, trainer tome, or mountain biking, hiking, and running. Dad, Courtney, you need to be in uh, Seattle for real. Um, welcome, Courtney. And, and tell us about what voting means to you. Um, so the secret is that actually I am technically in Seattle right now, but <laughs> Arkansas does have the best mountain biking in the country. So, um, <laughs> but enough about that. Um, so when I was thinking about this question about when I kind of learned why voting and politics was important, I come back to two different things. And I think both of them have kind of been said already, but the first is, learning about how hard getting voting rights for everyone was and still is. So the history of voting and voter suppression throughout history um, and how it's been used to keep down like oppressed groups, um, whether in blatant ways, like just not giving like women or black people the right to vote or whether it's in more subtle ways, like, you know, requiring literacy tests to be able to vote or requiring that people have a certain type of ID to be able to vote. Um, so I think that 
when I was in high school learning about that sort of turned me on to how important voting has been for marginalized groups to get their voices heard and how difficult it has been and still is. Um, and then I think the second thing that made me realize how important voting is was doing like grassroots organizing. And I think like what Mira was talking about, there's a whole industry devoted to turning people out to vote. And yeah, being on the kind of business side of it was a little bit like weird in some ways, seeing how, you know, everyone is kind of turned into like a statistic and, you know, are they likely to vote for your candidate or are they like a one, like they're not going to vote for you at all? Are they a five? You know, they're like definitely a, like a voter and you've confirmed that like three times with them. Um, but I mean, you also go door to door and you talk to these people. So they're really not just numbers, um, even though, you know, you do categorize them that way. And the goal is to talk to as many people as possible. So you're not just trying to, like, do it in the most efficient way. You're, you're really you want to talk to everyone. And now, of course, we can't actually knock on doors and go to people's houses. We have to just call them on the phone, which is a little bit more difficult um, to get people to talk to you because no one really likes answering their phones. Um, but I, I talked to so many people for whom voting was like so clearly so important and especially in New Hampshire, which is where I worked for the Warren campaign this past summer. Um, everyone's super invested in like the presidential race because, you know, they're an early primary state and they get, you know, hundreds of campaigns running through their state and they get to go to every single rally, meet every single politician um, but then I also met voters in Tennessee, where I also did some work canvassing. And a lot of people there were not as invested or, you know, it's a lot harder to vote in Tennessee. First of all, there's way more strict rules about voting. Um, and there are a lot of neighborhoods that I canvassed where half the people didn't even know that there's a primary coming up. It hadn't really been advertised at all. Um, I talked to people who were had been convicted felons in the past who couldn't vote, um, people who hadn't yet registered to vote. And that was when I got to do the work of actually, you know, going to people and telling them, this is when the election is, this is where your polling place is, this is how you can register. Um, and I guess seeing how you have to do that work, like really on the ground, in person, going from door to door made me realize how this, like, this must be so important if people like me are out, out there spending our entire weekends, like just getting people to turn out. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all that work and your insight into, into approaching people. I must admit that I now get the text messages, the phone calls, and the mailings. <laughs> um, Sandy has testified to Congress about election technology, has had documents presented to the Federal Elections Commission and to the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. Um, has He's been on about a dozen patents, have about a dozen patents related to voting technology, painfully familiar with how an election could be hacked, but he thinks it's important to note how the ground has shifted and why election hacking may not be the biggest electoral threat we face. We have to be aware that if he loses, Trump will try to undermine faith in the accuracy of the election. If that happens, his more violent supporters will become emboldened and the political turmoil 
we are now experiencing will not subside. Consequently, trust in the election is as important as any technology that may be used to undermine the election. Sandy. Sharon. Hey, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. (laughs) So what else do you have to tell us? (laughs) Well, um, I got involved in election voting technology uh, because like the rest of the people so far on the panel, I'm motivated by fairness and democracy. I believe kind of strongly in it, um, not for any religious reason, uh, but I think, was it Winston Churchill who said, uh, democracy is certainly not the best social system, but it sure beats whatever second. And I think it's what makes us, enables us to live together peacefully is kind of my view. So I've always been passionate about democracy and uh, politics to a lesser extent. After the uh, 2000, anybody besides uh, John and me old enough to remember the 2000 Bush Gore election uh, where we couldn't, (laughs) I remember, we couldn't tell who won. Um, A family member put his arm on me and said, you're kind of a technocrat nerd. Why don't you invent a voting system that's 100% accurate? And uh, I started a voting company. And the bad news about that is lost a lot of money. I put a lot of my money in it and, and couldn't get very far. Um, that's part of the, the story. And in my research on, on uh, building a voting machine, I think here's where it all comes together. I met some operatives, and they shared with me how they hacked previous elections. This is not a new issue. This is not a Russia issue. There's probably been election shenanigans ever since there have been elections. Now, I'm starting to see, Sharon, your face turning down. Now, there's a happy ending to this. Um, the point is, and, and I shared a little bit about this with, with John, the biggest medicine against election hacking is volume. We have to all vote everywhere. The shenanigans that can be pulled are localized. It's very, very unlikely to throw an election at a state level or at, or at the national level. It could be possible at, at, at the local level. But just like a lot, and I'm a physicist by training, just like a little mole, little molecules and atoms create a wind and a force, and uh, when we deal with the conglomerate of all of the actions of people, the one solution we have against stealing an election is everybody's got to vote. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Sandy. Y'all hear that community? Everyone has to vote. Um, Exercise your right, please. Um, Much appreciation, Sandy. Um, Lincoln, I'm going to ask for your help um, with your bio and who you are, uh, because you have so much Uh, I don't even know. I'll just start here. Um, Lincoln is a New Hampshire native, husband, veteran, father of four, and grandfather of three. He graduated from St. Thomas, uh, how you say that? A 
Kinas, you're you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas High School, the University of Notre Dame, and earned his law degree from Franklin Pierce Law Center, now UNH School of Law. Now, Lincoln, you've been, uh, you have a reputation as one of the state's finest trial attorneys, and you've been elected to nine terms as Stafford County attorney and working many years as a criminal defense attorney. Um, You've done a lot of work around um, child abuse and sexual assault, and you've been transforming and prosecuting and investigating cases. And you you was elected to be mayor in Somersworth, um, where your grandfather immigrated to from Italy um, at the turn of the century. You ran for Congress, U.S. Congress in New Hampshire, uh, first district. Um, Your life's work is uh, service to others is your life work, I can tell. Um, And in 2020, you began working as a field supervisor for the U.S. Census. And you also serve as a fiscal agent for your son Emmett's campaign for the NH Executive Council. What else? First, what else should we know about you? And... uh, (laughs) Thank you for your service. I don't know how you do all that. And then, um, and then secondly, tell us about your perspective on voting. Okay, well, maybe I can uh, tie those two together. You know, we had the discussion earlier about, uh, you know, uh, when people first got involved and uh, why they did and so forth. And, you know, growing up in New Hampshire, uh, from my parents, from the very beginning, uh, voting was not an option. You know, it's not like, oh, you can go vote if you want to, but you don't have to. No, it was an obligation. That's what I was taught. And uh, it was your obligation as, as a citizen. The fact that you enjoy the, uh, the, the, the fruits of, uh, of this country uh, or the state that you live in or whatever, uh, it's your obligation to vote. Uh, and if you're unhappy with things, then you really need to vote. Uh, I also want to underscore something that uh, John had said earlier, and that is we all focus on the presidential election. And, of course, uh, you know, we should. There's nothing wrong with that. And particularly this year, we really should. But um, but the fact is you can't ignore uh, the down ballot because many of the things that affect our lives most directly uh, happen on the lower portion of the ballot. Uh, even down to your city or town elections, your selectmen, your city councils, and so forth, uh, and your state representatives. These are the people, the state reps decide, you know, whether you're even going to get a chance to vote or your vote's going to matter. There are many states, for example, in which one party will have a majority uh, of the uh, people who are registered to vote, but every elected position is held by somebody in another party. Well, that's the result of something called gerrymandering. And that happens because of who we elect to our state representatives in our own state, not the Washington representatives. So these elections are vital. And of course, your own city and local elections are vital. And these things have direct effect on our lives. And that's why voting is essential. I uh, began uh, the first campaign I worked on was when I was a uh, when I was an undergraduate in college. It was uh, George McGovern, <laughs> and um, and I haven't looked back since. And I think now part of it may be that 
living in New Hampshire, as, as Mira talked about, you know, we, we have the first in the nation presidential primary. So it's a fairly uh, energized political state to begin with. And I think that that, that is part of it. But um, and of course, in terms of the importance of voting, I do subscribe to the view that this election and I've been through many, many important elections. But this election, without question, is the most uh, important election, at least of my lifetime. And, uh, and certainly the lifetime of most of the people who are, are watching and listening. Um, and, and the presidential election in particular, because what is at stake in this election is the very foundations of democracy of the United States of America. It literally is influencing who we are as a country and what we represent. And so there is not a time that could be more important. I have been happy to see that the millennials, not only are they beginning to turn out in terms of numbers for voting, but more and more of them, even more importantly, are running for office. And I say congratulations and go for it. It is time uh, to uh, pass the torch or the mantle, if you wish. I want to see uh, many more young people involved uh, in the system, uh, getting elected to positions whether it's local city council or whether it's Congress, the Senate, or running for president even. So we need more younger, younger people involved. My whole life, we've always talked about, oh, we got to get the young people out. And invariably, uh, we've not done well in doing that. But I think this new generation uh, has uh, a lot of momentum. And I think that they are going to Teach us all a lesson or two about how to get people motivated and how to get them to the polls. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I feel positive about this election. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm so, so happy to be here. Uh, it's great to listen to uh, all, all the panelists. I, uh, uh, it's been fascinating. And I thank you for inviting me to join. Thank you, Lincoln. You get me pumped over here. I mean, this this energy that all of y'all are bringing. Woo! I don't think I've ever had a conversation like this on voting. Ah, yeah, I think they've been getting it wrong for years. They make it so serious. And we're like, yo, we can do this. We got this. Let's make it happen. Um, yes. Uh, so we move to the person with the, I, I give her the um, the award for the best background. Um, because she is in nature and the trees are beautiful. Miss um, Sarah um, lives on Bainbridge Island, but comes from upstate New York. Um, she has a PhD in learning sciences and works in design research, community engagement and change management. Hey, Sarah. Um, tell us, I mean, I know your setting is, is ideal to talk about voting. It's a, uh, it's pretty dreamy behind me, but only, only because my house is trashed right now. So <laughs> I'm just hoping it doesn't start raining. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of house projects. Um, yeah. So I grew up in upstate New York to a family that believed like you're born Republican the same way that like you're born black. Like it's just like in your DNA. Uh, and I, they weren't super interested in voting. Um, I remember going to my first upstate New York voting booth where like you had to pull the lever and things shut. And 
It was a whole to do. Um, but it wasn't important to, to, uh, my family at all. And when I went to undergraduate, I, um, I started my degree in journalism and, um, I remember my first election voting was my sophomore year in undergraduate school and it was, um, Bush's second term. And I remember the next morning waking up to a campus that was just so sad And it was the first time that I was like, oh, oh, right. Voting matters. Like I I get it now that these things that we do have an impact. These decisions that are made have an impact. Um, And so um, recently uh, I... um, I have been, I had been studying, working at community, in community engagement and in informal learning settings and in education broadly. And one of the things that's really interesting to me and that I think this is where I sort of look at voting, my, my lens through which I see voting is we, we can, as much as those of us, and it sounds like all of us are super passionate about it and are like, yeah, it's an obligation. Like you have to do it. Um, turns out like you don't have to do it. Like you cannot vote. Nothing happens to you if you don't, nothing immediate, no immediate uh, consequence for not voting. And so one of the things that's really been on my mind recently is I look at learning as an act of participation. And if you want to shift culture, if you want to change culture, you have to participate in it. Um, And I think that that opens up a broader conversation about power systems and how much are you allowed to participate and who takes that away. Um, But this has been echoed now a few times, this idea of like a broad movement of participation Um, in a, not just in a system, not just the vote, but like as a cultural practice. I think that's, that's where like real change happens. And I, yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm excited about this election coming up, like, but uh, I'm interested to see in how we change. Mm, thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. When I got my census paperwork um, in the mail and it said, you are required by law to do this, it turned me so off. I was like, who are you talking to? Like, who comes up with this messaging um, when we know that we have a choice? Um, And so the approach is all wrong. I just want to share right quick what Courtney um, put in the chat. Bush's second term was was the first election I remember. My parents had the TV on the entire cycle, and all I could glean from it was that we hated Bush. She was six. And so that whole idea of also going back to what um, Richard was talking about, about being a child and voting in the school uh, election, like, like starting people, young people off early around what it means to vote, um, not even what it means to vote, but practicing that policy and being in the room um, with that is really great. Because I can tell you that when Barack Obama was um, on election night, I was on the phone with my grandmother because I wanted to hear her reaction um, when he won. And so, and so all those years of being a child, I just wanted that moment to be with her um, 
via phone and it was the best thing I've ever experienced. Um, now this next person I want to tell y'all is, um, is a friend of mine. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read her bio and then I'm going to tell you a little bit of something, something. She is a child of God and a mother to a beautiful and brilliantly creative 21 year old daughter, Jada. Um, she is the founder of Feed Worldwide, a creative and social impact organization. She's a filmmaker and currently a PhD student with a research focus on the po political psychology of leaders and its implications and perpetuation of racism. Her name is Dietra. We call her Denai. And let me tell you about D-Nice, y'all. I'm not going to tell you about Deetra. I'm going to tell you about D-Nice because they're two different people. D-Nice will um, go in on politics. You call her right now. Her TV is probably on CNN or MSNBC. She's talking back to it. She's doing a hundred other things, making a film, sending emails, multitasking, all of that. Um, she ends up in spaces that I don't know how she ends up in, talking to different people from hip hop artists to politicians. I mean, who ends up canvassing with Jimmy Carter's grandson? D-Nice. That's how it goes down. How you doing, Deirdre? How's everything in Atlanta? Tell us what's on your mind. <laughs> Hello, great to be here. Um, I'm really loving the discussion. Um, uh, I'm very excited to to be here because I do have a passion for politics, but I have an even greater passion for um, my community and the youth. And um, what I'm learning more and more um, is it's is vital to um, teach the history behind why voting is important and um, as Sharon and Sarah talked about, um, when we put these barriers or these um, stipulations on you have to vote or you have to do the census, I was one of those, and I'm still like this, but if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to figure out why you're telling me I can't do it. You know, And a lot of times that's the mindset as I talk to youth, especially in our community, about voting. And the propaganda has worked on us specifically, that voting doesn't matter, um, you know, our voice doesn't count. And even with my parents, up until probably the last 20 years of their lives, they didn't vote because they grew up in a time where, you know, friends, family, they saw John Lewis, the, the, the civil rights movement. Um, and, you know, not everybody felt the... the um, the desire and, and the need to vote that it would matter. You know, some people actually thought seeing that and, and trying to participate in, in the, the discrimination that they were facing, you know, some people retracted from that. That shifted and changed for them. And um, we actually grew up uh, being very active in the community. Um, the, one of the most important things I think my parents did for us was they um, encouraged us to research our history and learning about not only John Lewis, but Fannie Lou Hamer and her powerful voice and how that shifted um, what voting um, means and, and the importance of it. It was a tremendous impact 
on me. Um, meeting um, Shirley Chisholm at, you know, at Bowling Green State University um, and hearing her and her fight and all of that. So all of that was a, a huge impact, um, but everybody doesn't get that information. So it's, it's my, um, as, I, as I enter the back nine of my life, as I say, my goal is to ensure that our youth understand the history behind why voting is important and why it's still to this day um, being uh, used as a tool um, to prevent us um, from, from participating in democracy. So um, I, I appreciate conversations like these and anything that we can do to get the information out, especially to youth and young people and getting them to understand uh, the power of their voice um, is, is vital, it's important, and it's, it's how we're gonna move um, our society forward in the future. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you, Deja. I think um, Mira jumped through the screen and gave you a hug um, when you mentioned hearing Shirley Chisholm speak. Um, her whole body just was like, I can't touch her right now. <laughs> but she did give it to you. And um, and that is so important. If, if anyone has a chance, please YouTube Fannie Lou Hammer or Shirley Chisholm, and you will find some of the most amazing stuff um, that, um, that will just bring you down. Um, and, uh, uh, Eric says, thank you for introducing me to Fannie Lou Hammer and Shirley Chisholm. I have research to do. And that's what this conversation is about. Um, and I have a, a, at my home in Seattle, I have a, over this shoulder would have been an image of Shirley Chisholm, um, that I got from, um, uh, that I have in my house. And so definitely understanding that history and how it all relates, um, which is why I really love Good Trouble, the documentary, because it took um, the past, what we talk about for civil rights and brought it all the way to the present and how those come together. And so I think that's a, a wonderful showing of bringing um, of how they, that all relates, the chain link effect to, to process. Um, so I really do appreciate that. Um, and uh, last but not least to introduce to the panel before we get into even intense conversation is Miss um, Lisa. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Lisa in a second, but Lisa, from my perspective, I'll read what she gave us. Lisa was born and raised in the Sunshine State, Florida, proud alumna of uh, the Florida A&M University. For those of you who don't know, FAMU, historically black college and university, uh, also holds an MFA in arts leadership from Seattle University, I graduated from that program. She is a theater educator and practitioner as well as creator, producer, and host of Kitchen Talks, which you can find on YouTube, um, TV talk show, and now virtual series. She is a creativity and a voice of structure. Her words, some say she's bossy. She says, I have leadership skills. She definitely has leadership skills. I met Lisa when she came to Seattle um, as part of the MS program and I tell you um, she is not afraid to tell you exactly how she feels and I love it it gives me life hey Lisa 
Tell me something more, girl. <laughs> you know, when Sharon called me, I was like, girl, <laughs> I am not an expert on voting. She was like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. So um, I will say that um, growing up, my I don't remember talking about voting with my parents. I, I feel like I knew they did it, but we didn't necessarily sit around the table or, or even... I don't even remember them watching elections on TV or anything like that. I remember uh, being at a Najee concert um, and I was sitting there with my good friend girl and uh, somebody came over and they were like, are you registered to vote? And we were both like, we might've been 18, 19 years old. Um, at least I we a little bit. Cause you kind of like went out for a second. Did, what do you want me to do? Repeat a little bit what you just said about being at the concert. Okay, so at a at a Naji concert, um, someone walked up to me and a friend girl, and they were like, "Are you registered to vote?" And we were like, "No, but okay." So <laughs> we filled out the forms, and um, I voted. You know, it wasn't necessarily a passion. I felt like it was, you know, the thing to do, the right thing to do. And then I became a little jaded um, because I didn't feel like anybody was representing me. Um, I'm going to vote for you, but I still felt like whatever you're doing in the office that you're in, you're doing it out of selfishness or whatever you want. It's not about the people that you're supposed to be representing. Um, And then most recently, uh, I got... I still voted, but I just didn't have that, you know, I knew that I knew our history and the more I learned about our history and the, and suppression and this and that, it, it sparked something in me. So I became a little more passionate about it. Um, but over the last, mm, well, I will say, um, finally, when um, Barack Obama ran for president. It was something that I did not think I would see in my lifetime. I felt like my kids, if I had kids, would see it in theirs, but I wouldn't see it in mine. And the fact that he was a viable candidate on a national stage at a major party, not an independent, not a write-in at a major party, because we kind of divide our, our, our country into two sides. Um, it, it even, it exploded my heart is actually what it did. And it made me like, I'm like out there, I'm like, you need to get out and vote. You need to vote. You need to vote. You need to vote. So it, it sparked something in me and, and to see him um, win and, and do two terms. And from that point, I realized that voting is very important. Not that I didn't realize it was important before, but I just didn't feel like anybody was representing me. And that's and that's anybody. That's not just to say white people weren't representing me. That was black people that we voted for. I just didn't feel like any of our representatives were were talking for me, for the people. Um, I, I felt like it was all about them getting reelected. OK, I'm in this office. Now I want to stay in this office for 10,000 years. Because there's no term limit. So I'm going to do a little bit, but then I'm going to make sure you vote me back in this office again. 
So it just seemed um, just not what, you know, you were doing for me. So um, moving forward now today, I feel like um, voting is imperative because we need good leadership. And that is where I am today. Um, And that is why I encourage people to vote. It used to be just, oh, make sure you vote for the president. But no, you got to go all the way to your city council, to your mayors, to um, all of your uh, local, your um, state, your regional, your federal, all of that. Because leadership is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And being in this pandemic, I am seeing it more and more every day that we need good leadership. And the only way I can speak to that is with my vote. Mm. Thank you, Lisa. See, that's why. Yeah, look at that. I like that. Bring it. Bring it. Gina says, uh, love, it exploded my heart. And, and that speaks a lot about society too, right? Not just voting, about seeing people um, do things in positions that you've never seen before um, allows, it, it's, it's a reassurance that you can do it too. And it's hard to always be the first, right? The first this, the first that. But the more we normalize, um, I, I will use the word diversity or inclusion around everything that we do um, from education to teachers to um, who's working at what store and who's working for what company and who's playing what sport um, then it helps it helps motivate and it helps inspire people to try to do those things as well. Um, So thank you very much, Lisa, for being here. Thank you all the panelists for being here. And you know, the questions have already started coming in and I don't have the answer for this, but maybe some of you have some advice for Darby. Um, Darby is a Washington resident, but go to school in Arizona. Arizona has been known as a swing state and uh, has, and I have been considering my impact in voting. Um, Any advice for voting as an out-of-state student? Courtney. I feel I'm somewhat qualified to answer this as I am currently voting as an out-of-state student. Um, I was also registered, when I first registered to vote, it was in Washington. And I voted there the first time around um, because I hadn't yet gone to school. And then when I moved to Arkansas, Arkansas was much more Republican. I felt like my vote would have more of an impact, whatever that means in Arkansas. Um, Not everyone was going to vote the same way as I did. So I then registered in Arkansas. And then I went to school in Tennessee and realized that that was closer to being a swing state than Arkansas was. And there were more candidates there that I was excited about who I was campaigning for, like down ballot races. So then I registered there. Um, So I definitely, I mean, I'm clearly a, a big proponent of registering where you're going to school in a swing state. Um, So I would recommend doing that. It's a bit of a difficult process more than it should be. Um, But most college campuses, and, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like now because of coronavirus and if you're going back to school or not, but um, most college campuses have, like, voter registration drives constantly. And I know I ran them on campus. Like, we would literally just hand out, you know, pamphlets to people and you fill them out and then they would give them back to us and then we would do all the work of, like, sending them or bringing them to the city hall. 
Um, so I don't know if that's something that you could do, or if you just go on vote.org, you can, you know, look up like how you could register in, in Arizona. And then, you know, the problem is that for some of the elections, you might be in Arizona and then you can vote in person. But then for some of them, you know, you might be back home for break or something. And then you're like, well, you know, if I'm back in Washington, how, how do I vote in Arizona? Like that just sounds really complicated. And then maybe you move away from Arizona after you graduate. So, you know, being registered in three different states and then also traveling just all over the country, um, you just have to be really on top of it. Like I had to request my absentee ballot for Tennessee the other day. And this was like just a week ago. And I was telling Gina on the phone, like it was so difficult. I had to call the city hall in Nashville and, you know, you have to get approved to request your ballot. And then once you send that in, then they have to send you the ballot and you have to fill that out and send that back. And it has to be postmarked by election day. Um, So it, it is much more complicated to vote out of state, but I think it's worth it. Um, And it's also nice to be connected to the place that you're going to school in. You're probably going to have more opportunities to be politically involved there because you're actually, you know, in the state for like nine months out of the year. Yeah, if I could uh, weigh in on this, um, the thing to remember is that uh, the issue of uh, voting and voting absentee and so forth, this is all regulated by each of the states And so the rules may be different in the two different states. Like, uh, I think the questioner had asked about Washington uh, State uh, and Arizona. Certainly in terms of, uh, you know, if you wanted to make a choice, if you could vote in Arizona, uh, it it might have a bigger impact because there are races there that are uh, on the edge and could uh, possibly help us flip the Senate and so forth. Uh, but it's local, and you've got to find out what the local rules. I mean, here in New Hampshire, for example, sadly, the the, uh, governor uh, and his his friends uh, passed a law that restricted uh, uh, student voters at UNH, made more uh, obstacles to their being able to vote in New Hampshire. I won't get into all the details of it. Many of us viewed it as a form of voter suppression, which oftentimes it is. So the, the caveat I would give you is check your local rules. Check the rules of your st- of the state you're looking to, to vote in because that will determine whether or not you're going to be able to. Some states, as I understand it, do not allow college students to vote if, if they live in another state and they're only there for, for college. Um, I'm not sure that's constitutional, but nonetheless, uh, there are some restrictive uh, uh, provisions in many of the states. So I would uh, caution everyone, check the local rules, check the rules of the state that you're hoping to be able to vote in. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And also, just one second, Richard. Um, uh, Mira put in the the chat, Arizona actively makes it hard for college students to register to vote. And then she puts a link to a story. And then she said, you can do it, though. It just will require some work. Thank you, Mira. Uh, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I just wanted to build on the point that Lincoln made that um, I did some work in Michigan, and it was really focused on two initiatives that Michigan introduced and passed, which was great. One was to replace the 
legislature dis- determining the legislative districts, which was an anti-gerrymandering. And the second was really to facilitate easier access to voting, same-day registration, um, making it easier for residents to get absentee ballots. Um, but one of the things that struck me is that, you know, having grown up, I just sort of always assumed that, you know, everybody went to the polling places, that elections were sort of a uniform process, et cetera. And as I, you know, I knew that the voter suppression took place in, quote, the South. I knew that uh, the voter suppression was a, a, a sort of an unspoken part of kind of the racism that existed in this country. But the amount of manipulation that's possible state by state through the rules that are enacted by the state legislatures is really, you know, pretty frightening. And so it gets back to a point that several people have made that it's really important not just to vote, you know, every four years for the president, but to be actively involved in what's going on in your local level, because it will affect not only you know, the policies, but it actually affects your ability to participate in democracy. And just these couple examples show that you, know, you can have rules that, in, in effect, disenfranchise people. And we think that everybody's got the right to vote. Um, but that's ob- obviously not the case. So it just sort of reinforces the theme of today. Get out to vote. It does make a difference. Do, do, and this is to everyone on our okay, panel. Can I jump in for just a minute, Sharon? Uh, yes, John. Uh, I just wanted, I, uh, I think Richard picked up this thing I was going to say when Lincoln, it just goes back. And I want to just, once again, this the down ballot thing and, um, how, uh, you know, in the state of Washington, and, and I'm not sure exactly, uh, and I wish I really knew more about it, but I think it's like the Secretary of State, some people that actually have the control over uh, whether or not uh, people are going to be able to vote. And we just don't think about those things. And, you know, once again, it's, it's the young people coming out and voting and understanding, you know, in their local states and, and their politics and who's important and who makes those decisions. Because, uh, you know, uh, I just voted. Uh, we just had a primary and uh, yeah, you're checking off that stuff and it, we get a voter's pamphlet, you know, and uh, you, you study the pamphlet and you look at it and you're going like, okay, well, Secretary of State, well, do you really know what your Secretary of State really does in your state? Most people don't. They have no idea of these things. They have no idea of the power that these people have. So I just wanted to reinforce, uh, really understand that because that's where it all starts. And then it, it, it doesn't go top down, it goes bottom up, I think in a lot of this stuff. So just throwing that in. Thank you, John. And, um, and I think we're on the same page because one of the things I was going to say to everyone was about accessibility of communicating what each thing means. It seems like sometimes people detach from voting because they, they don't know. They don't know 
what the Secretary of State does and it's not communicated properly or it's not computer communicated in a way in which um, somebody who had no knowledge of how um, the governmental system works can access that. Um, and I know Mira has some thoughts on this. So what, do you, what do you have to say about accessibility, Mira? Uh, I mean, I think that I always have, I always feel like a challenge. I want to challenge it when people say big generalized sweeps about voting blocks. I am a millennial. I'm 34. Often I get talked down to as a millennial, especially by older folks who are saying millennials need to vote. And it's like, well, let's talk about the dismantling of civics in schools. Let's talk about how older people have failed us by voting in all of these people who set us up to fail. Let's talk about how Courtney and I are technically different generations, and yet she keeps getting called a millennial because when people think younger voters, they're thinking 18 to 25. Let's talk about all of this, like what Darby was talking about, the systemic way that Dar it's going to be harder for Darby to register to vote on college campus, which is where Darby lives, which is this, the, the location that Darby is going to be living. And those things are going to affect Darby. I feel really strongly that we need to take responsibility for our own things. Now, in terms of learning our own things, I think it's really cool as part of moving to different states. And Courtney, if you're on the campaign trail, you're like me, I was bouncing from place to place. I had to learn what each state did in different ways. Um, there's some really cool stuff that people have are able to affect based on their local elected officials. So I recently, when did we move? We moved, um, we moved to SeaTac, Washington. Um, how long ago? Sharon, do you know how long ago we moved? Like two years, maybe? Um, Don't, but I, Michael probably text me and tell me. Okay, Michael, maybe text Sharon and tell. Okay, so we moved, I want to say like two years ago. SeaTac, Washington. Everyone should know. Please know. Shout to the roof. SeaTac, Washington, first township in the United States to pass a $15 minimum wage. Show some respect on its name. The next year, the very next year, some folks threw in, and I want to say like a couple thousand dollars, and they turned over that city council. And now our mayor just loves Trump. She's got this big bus in her yard. I know, because I canvas. She's got this big bus, bus in her yard and her Trump sign and her like re-election thing. They shut down um, properties that were owned by local East African business owners. Like all of these things happen. And so I like really want you to get into the story of your community because it's there and it's so cool and it's so devastating, but you can't affect it. So like my hope would be like Darby, once you figure out how to register in Arizona, you tell like 10 of your friends, you write up like a Google doc and you share it around because then not only will you absentee vote in Arizona, but those 10 friends will vote in Arizona and then you've organized, you've become an organizer, join a campaign. Welcome. Mm. Thank you, Mira. You sparked some energy out of some folks in here. Uh, we're going to start with um, Sarah, and then I know Deirdre and Lisa want to jump in, and then we're going and then we're going to get to another question. Come on, Sarah. Yeah. So um, 
I'm always super interested when education gets thrown in, right? We're always thrown in the mix because we are this giant system. Uh, Civics is fundamentally one of the more interesting things. Technically, all 50 states have a civics program. Technically, 90% of like all students or something, some insane amount have like done a civics class. But like, I remember I'm a 36 year old elder millennial. I remember my civics class and I don't remember learning anything worth like, like getting off my ass and going out to vote or like learn about something or like have any engagement in like any of our local politics. The only thing that I knew about our mayor was that he got in a bar fight with somebody two years older than me a few years later. Like that's all I knew. Um, and I think, I think when we're thinking about education and we're talking about like what makes for good education and it's, it's so often like rooted in experience, like experiential learning that has a direct impact. And then you're like, cool, those programs can exist. Yeah, those programs can exist, but they exist in white wealthy neighborhoods. Like, it, like the whole cluster of like, how do you use education as a tool um, gets, it's insane. I, I, you know, I was working with, um, when I was getting my PhD in education, I was working with people who were like designing these incredible learning experiences. But the people who have access to that kind of learning experience in that kind of boutique way um, are like one classroom in Tacoma, one classroom in rural America. It's so small. Um, and I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this anymore, but, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely this question when we talk about voting, we're not just talking about showing up at the polls. We're talking about fundamentally shifting all of our systems toward making civic engagement part of what we do. Mm, mm, thank you, Sarah. Now, uh, Deirdre, when Mira was speaking, you said preach Mira, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what 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 are you thinking? Um, yeah, I I I so agree with the idea of um, civics not being taught in in schools. And um, one thing we have to remember is like racism is embedded in all of these systems, not just criminal justice. It's in education. It's in all the systems that are designed in this country, and we have to face that and understand that. Right? It's the way it has been and is is today. And so the reason why I, I'm doing research on political psychology is because touching on what Sarah was saying, racism and um, disenfranchisement has been so normalized in this country that people don't even know that it's not normal, right? And to touch on what Richard was saying about his experience, he thought everybody was voting. He thought that was a normal occurrence that everybody had the right to vote and everybody was, was voting. We have to really understand that it's not normal and we have to change the structures that are inherent in these systems. Um, we're not getting the education that we needed, um, that we need um, to support our efforts in going out telling especially young people to vote. It's, it's just not that easy, right? And so um, we have to look at, you know, I often say, uh, you know, 
um, and it's a quote, um, I think it's, uh, it's an author, I think of his name, but those who control the past control the future. It's so true. The, the idea that this propaganda of our votes don't matter, you know, it doesn't count and, you know, our voices are not valuable and, you know, all of these narrative that has been perpetuated for over 400 years in this country, it has worked. And we have to undo that. And we undo that by um, teaching factual history, the, the way these systems came about, why we're not being taught the way we should be taught. But also we have to look at, as Lisa was saying, leaders, because their psychology and how they're leading matters. And if you have someone, and I think oftentimes, I don't think every leader, um, black or white, (laughs) are um, inherently trying to disenfranchise or inherently racist, but it's these normalized ideas that they have that has been embedded in this country that is the issue. But we have to recognize that, we have to admit it, and we have to start unraveling those those ideologies and, and you know begin to put the truth out there. So thank you, Dee. Um, Paulina said, I am a Zillennial. I never had a civics class. I registered to vote at Capitol Hill Block Party, go to where they are, and why not at school? Whew, the questions that we ask. Um, Lisa, I know you almost jumped out of your seat over there in Florida. Uh, so, so tell me what's on your mind. Um, I think when Mira said, you know, civics in school, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that is so true. It's so much that we don't learn where we're supposed to learn it. And, um, or we place um, the emphasis or the blame or the responsibility on a family or on parents that didn't learn it. So how are they able to pass it down? Um, Because we don't know. Um, I think I just posted this. Be careful because ignorance is expensive. Mm. And because we don't know, because we don't know what this particular office does, um, and then nobody even above us knows. I am not a millennial. I'm Gen X. I'll be 50 in about 20-something days. Um, But because we don't know, then we get caught up in this whoever comes to our church and smiles at us and says, give me your vote. Oh, they must be good people because they came to our church and said that, um, you know, they, they stopped by the church. So let's go ahead and vote for them. But none of, the, none of it. And then the other thing I got caught up in was how do I even research who this is? So what if I don't know about the World Wide Web? you know, as older people, I'm not saying me in general, but I'm saying just, or I don't have access to internet. How do I know? I see a commercial maybe on TV. How do I know who I'm even voting for? But we hide all of this. And now it's like our education system, our this system, our that system, again, rooted in keeping people, not just black people, but keeping people oppressed so that the powers that be 
hold on to the power that be. And it's just, it's so crazy. And now we're saying, get out and vote, get out and vote. Well, what does that mean? And how are we educating people on what that means? We mm. and we and we talk down and say, "Oh my God, you're the worst person in the world because you didn't vote." I don't even know who or what to vote for. How do I know that? You know, mm. because our systems are meant and like um, Deidre was saying, ingrained that this is normal. That okay, yes, yeah, voting time. Some politicians gonna come out of church. And they're going to wave at you and say they're going to do all of this. And, you know, they're good people and da-da-da. But how do I know that? And we keep it to where we only see a little bit. The powers that be, I say this in everything. The powers that be in our music, in our television, in the stuff that we see, they only let you see a little bit. They only let you see the stereotype of it. And the people that are really trying to do the good work get pushed to the background so you don't see that in the media. You don't mm. see that in mainstream. So our, uh, uh, okay, yep, go ahead. Yep, oh my God. You got on your soapbox, I love <laughs> it, thank you. I wanna uh, bring Sandy in and um, thank y'all everyone, this is great. Um, Sandy, Claire says, I hear a lot of people talking about how their vote doesn't matter or saying that they will abstain from voting because they don't agree with the two-party system. What would you say to those people? How might I equip myself to better communicate the importance of voting? You know, Sharon, I saw that question posted and uh, there was another question. Let me see, so kind of similar by, uh, from Robert. Um, how do we change this perception of, uh, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that. And, and what came to mind, I, I talked before about, uh, too much of a nerd that I am, how uh, a wind is made out of a lot of individual atoms and, and molecules. Um, but what, what jumps out at me by questions like that is mask wearing. Uh, why do I have to wear a mask? Um, why should I wear a mask? Um, maybe I, 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 I'm 17, I'm not going to get sick. And it's the same kind of answer. You are participating in a community. Uh, Sandy, you went uh, mute on us. Sandy, we can't hear you now. Yeah, it looks like I'm. my internet is freezing. Am I back? You're back. Oh, sorry about that. That happens to my internet. I pay my bill. I don't know. Um, so I don't know if you heard my the beginning of this. It's like wearing a mask. What you do influences everybody around you. If you go out into a crowd and you're 17 years old or not even a crowd, but you're 10 feet away instead of six, 30 or 40 other people are going to see you. And so there's an influencer effect, too, that not only does your individual participation affect your getting sick and maybe um, uh, causing contagion in others, you are making a statement. And I don't know if I can make that point strongly enough that when you vote, when you participate in the society, you are participating. And by doing that, you are signaling to others that they should also. 
Mm. Thank you, Sandy. Um, Lincoln, you were going to add something? Uh, well, yeah, I just wanted to jump in on this because uh, I saw these questions as well. You know, and the question is, you know, well, how do you, you know, what do you say to people? How do you? I think it begins with the idea of community. We all live in a community and you can break that down into very small communities, like the few people that maybe are your friends and that you hang with and that, uh, or your broader community, your neighbors, et cetera, then your town, et cetera. It's all about community and the way that uh, about encouraging others to get engaged in the system. It's about you yourself engaging in community. It's about you yourself asking the questions of people that you associate with, your friends and so forth. It's about educating yourself and then you can educate your community. And this thing about, well, you know, I don't like either one. And usually they're talking about the presidents. The, the, uh, that's why I come back to this issue that John originally stated. Those are not the only people on the ballot. And as you go down the ballot, Many of these people will directly affect your life, your neighbors' lives, your friends' lives. And that's why even if you don't, you don't have, you can take a ballot. You don't have to vote for the president. But, you know, maybe it's important for you to vote for who your uh, mayor is going to be or who your uh, city council is going to be or your state representatives. So, Engage your community, engage your friends, engage your broader community if possible. Have these discussions. The more people talk about it and learn about how what is affecting their lives. I mean, if somebody comes along and says, you know, I'm absolutely happy with everything in my life and everybody I know is happy about it too. Well, maybe you don't need to vote, okay? <laughs> Fine, just leave it to everybody else. But that's not most people's lives. Most people struggle, have struggles, have issues. And those issues only get addressed through the political system. Like it or not, whether you view it as some evil contrivance or, or otherwise, the fact is that is the way you as an individual can affect your life and the lives of others. And that is to exercise your right to vote, and to convince others of the importance of that. Thank you, um, Lincoln. Can I jump, Can I jump in here, Sharon? Then, yeah. Um, just, well, I want to follow up on, on, on something that uh, Lincoln said. And again, it's, it's the down ballot thing. And uh, just a short uh, story here. Uh, I had a, a, a conversation with a granddaughter who is just now uh, eligible to vote. And uh, she was very, very, very engaged uh, in, in, a, in a campaign and uh, her candidate uh, dropped out. So she's very disappointed and her disappointment was going to go to, well, I'm not even going to vote or whatever. Um, you know, not really very informed, uh, uh, not a really good idea. But I told her, I said, you know, you can change things if you don't like either candidate or you don't like the alternative. I said, why don't you get engaged in making a change down below? Because that's going to influence who you're going to vote for when it comes up to the top. So I said, why don't you get active and do something? Because you can make a change. So that, I just wanted to throw that in. And then I got a message back from her a little bit later. And she says, oh, OK, I am going to vote. And I'm going to. So somehow or another, I got through on that. And she was telling me she was getting very active 
in her state politics and she's going to school in Michigan and she's in college. And so she can and uh, doesn't have to vote in Washington. She can vote there. And she was getting very active in some some very local politics. And I said, I'm really proud of you. Uh, thank you, John. I think you just answered or gave input to Robert's question about 2020 has given us more reasons than ever to vote. Yet so many Americans just can't be bothered. Is it possible to change this mindset? And you just share with us how to change that mindset. So thank you very much. And then I want I want to um, acknowledge this comment in the in the box. And then I'm gonna come to um, Richard in a second. Um, Flora says, I am from Guatemala. At 18, official adult age to vote. I couldn't wait to vote. And I remember that's the thing you look forward to and it was because of civics education. Life brought me here when I was 20 and I am not able to vote here. It is so important what you all are sharing. One other very important point is to let people know that their vote doesn't count only for them or their family, but for a huge community in my case, Hispanic, that can't do it, but call the USA home. I think that's how you, that's how you change some mindsets there. Um, Richard, um, we have a question that was directed around the lower ballot. How, how do you think, or do you have an opinion on how we can engage um, younger voters or, um, and things of that nature? Um, well, I do think that's probably best answered by some of the other panelists, but, um, you know, I, when I was young, when I was in college, you know, I I was very politically active and then life kind of took over quote and I'd be, you know, I'd vote, but I wasn't as politically active, but part of what I, I started to realize is that, you know, it, as, as has been said, local elections do matter. I started to observe that, you know, the city council, the way it behaved, affected my life. That the state policies, whether it was around health care availability, which, you know, I was in the healthcare field and, and that was a huge issue. Now that I've gotten older, long-term care, that's a big issue that nobody talks about. And yet state politicians affect how all that works. So I do think, you know, it's easy to say, I don't have time. It's easy to say it doesn't matter, but it's, it's hard to say that my job isn't affected by it. My health access to healthcare isn't affected by it. My, um, Freedoms, freedom to protest, freedom to, you know, express myself isn't affected by it. And so for, you know, the average person, it may feel distant, but it isn't. It's, you know, those things are affecting your life daily. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you can make a convincing argument to the people that are so marginalized by the system that, it just feels overwhelming, but I think you'd have to make the effort. You have to reach out to people, talk about your own personal experiences. And I, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for you. 
No, that's great. Thank you, Richard. Um, Mira, I think I was supposed to come to you after John and I went to somewhere else. So I'm coming back. Cool. That's why. Uh, I to yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to address a couple of things. One, I wanted to address talking to other people. Um, as a former political organizer, one of the ways that we were trained to talk to other people was to really talk from the heart and to talk to people in a way where you're meeting people where they are, not where you are, not putting your preconceived notions onto them, uh, not doing what uh, the census did to you in Detroit this year, which was like, you must fill out your census. Uh, like that turns people off. Like the second you tell people you must vote and you buy into that American individualism that isn't true because we are a community, we are a society, you are going to turn people off and you'll notice it because people's body language will change. They will stop looking at you in the eye, they'll cross their arms, they're gonna be over it, they're gonna be waiting until you're done talking to them. So like, as you're going into these conversations, I think it's like the, 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 the way that this conversation has been facilitated, it's about your story. Why do you choose to vote? Why do you see voting as important? What are, like asking questions, what has their experience with voting been? Why aren't they excited about it? Like I think of like the second election I voted in was Bush Kerry and I cried the next day. I was so devastated. And I think that when you're that young, you can't, that kind of heartbreak is rough. And that requires empathy and that requires care to talk about like having that kind of devastating loss. Like I like, I'm like 34. I felt it again when Senator Warren dropped out of the race after I like wore my shoes out knocking on doors for her, like over the fall and winter this year. I think that like just fi figuring out how people are and how they're engaged and also knowing that like not everybody is going to be a big nerd like you who does like all the research on all the down ballot races, who like is super engaged, who's following all the right people on Twitter, who's read Stacey Abrams' book like 17 times, just saying. Like not everybody's gonna be at that level and to really meet people where they are and try not to put your own stuff on them because it's not gonna work. You're not gonna have a real conversation. Mm. Thank you, Mira. Um, I want to jump to Sarah real quick because Sarah, um, we're going to go a little bit over time. So please hang with us if you can. Um, but Sarah has to jump off and, and, and go do this thing called work. I don't, I don't know why that's important in this lifetime, but you know, um, they have to do, Sarah has to do what Sarah has to do for self. And we all do just joking. Um, but Sarah, um, before you leave, um, you you put something in the um, chat um, around this conversation around Elizabeth Warren. Moving on from the candidate you love doesn't mean letting go of their ideas and ideals. It's super easy to forget that. Those ideas can still be your gold standard in where you want to go. You just have to find a different way of getting there. What are your final thoughts um, before you leave us around um, what you want people to know or hear from you around voting? Yeah. Um, somebody said to me recently, and I sort of, I sort of love this because I think to Mira's point, like not everybody's going to be where you're at. Not everybody's going to be as informed or as jazzed or as passionate or, um, deeply in love with somebody. And, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about this since the last election. Um, 
there's somebody recently said to me, you know, good government is when everybody is a little bit unhappy. That's good governing. And I, I think it's really easy to get like wrapped up in this, like, well, this is what amazing looks like. And this is what it had, this is what I want. And this is what I want my government to be. And then forget about the other, like, you know, several million people living in America who might not agree. Um, and I, I, I think that we're all in this process of becoming, right? All of the time. And, and we should be that way in our political and civic life as well, that we should always be um, becoming more than what we had been, engaging in new ways and developing towards something. Um, and I think when I, when I think about things that way, it's much easier for me to, I was also devastated when Elizabeth Warren dropped out and uh, it was much, it's much easier for me to be like, okay, all right, we, we broke up. This didn't work out. Like reroute, what can I do? You know? Um, and how does that, yeah, how does that impact down ballot? How does that impact the conversations that I'm having? What was missing? Like, what wasn't perfect? What are those things that, like, are still important to me that, like, might not have been happening? And really having that reflective space to be able to jump back in. And I think that's, to me, that's the most important part, that it's not a presidential election, that it is an ongoing practice and engagement. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, Send sorry, you guys. <laughs> I feel Send like it's hard, but... Send right. the love. Thank you. Um, so, everyone, we're going to start to wrap up. And I, I really want to know just um, in hearing everything that you heard today and um, what your final thoughts are. What do you, what do you want to leave the people with? And um, I'm going to start with Courtney. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> I, it's it's been great to be a part of a panel of people who are all you know more experienced in, in voting than I am, um, and to hear you all talk about you know all of these elections that you've been a part of and everything you've learned from that. And I think I'm coming from a place where I'm like, well, I've been through you know two election cycles that I've been invested in and been able to vote in, and the first one um, I like wasn't even able to vote in, and um, the second one, cause I was totally out of the country, couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, and then the second one, I was like all in for Warren, um, you know, worked my ass off for months, um, got back to school, you know, did all this work. And then, you know, it didn't work like, both times the candidate I wanted didn't win. So every election I've ever been a part of my, you know, preferred candidate, the first one didn't win. So it's, it's really easy to get disillusioned and, um, you know, voting is one thing, but then doing the work outside of voting, you've invested so much more into that. Um, and I think if you look at it as a game, like you win or you lose, then it's really easy to think that the game is rigged and, you know, not want to play in it ever again. Um, but if you look at it more as I liked what Sarah said before she left about becoming, and if you look at it as, as more of a process of, you know, the country becoming what you want it to be, then it's easier to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take it one step at a time. Um, after Elizabeth Warren dropped out, I had, I told myself I had, you know, a week or two of mourning. And <laughs> after that mourning period, I was like, okay, what can I do? 
and people who work on campaigns, it's not even a week. Like I, you know, I was volunteering. Um, I mean, I was working for a little bit, but you know, they, they have like one week before they apply to all these other jobs. And for me, you know, I, I had a couple of weeks where I didn't do much. And then um, this past, you know, the past couple of months, I've been researching candidates to volunteer for. So I've worked for, done some calls for Senator Markey in Massachusetts, some for Sarah Gideon in Maine, and, you know, some local Tennessee politicians. So, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting back on the, the racehorse. And I think little by little, if you just invest yourself in, um, in voting and in candidates and politics, not as like a game and not as, you know, a winner take all system, but just as, you know, something that you can have an impact on even in small ways, then it's easy. It's much easier to maintain a, you know, sense of making real change and like you actually have an impact. Mm. Thank you, Courtney. Um, Lincoln. Yes. <laughs> what, what do you want to leave? Um, what do you want to leave our panelists and um, community with? Well, I, I sort of want to follow up on the things that uh, people have been talking about, like uh, uh, Mira and a few others, and the, the idea of uh, who people who have supported a candidate and the candidate lost and sort of being devastated by that. Uh, I do think there's a slight difference as to whether or not it's a primary or general election, but the feeling is the same. So I, I want to address that a little bit. And I want to begin with this, because what I want to do is to leave you with some hope. <laughs> and that's this. Uh, so uh, I, I, you know, as you know, uh, so I'm from New Hampshire. We have the first in the nation presidential primary, right? And uh, so I have been involved and we, my wife and I both have been involved in supporting candidates in those primaries. And I think the first one we had, like the first candidate we had was Walter Mondale when he was running. That was 1980 or, or uh, maybe 81, but anyway. Um, and ever since then, every four years, we've been engaged in supporting uh, candidates in the primary. And I can tell you, <laughs> let me share this with you. We have never supported a candidate who won the New Hampshire primary for president in a contested primary. <laughs> so we, we are very much used to not having our candidates win. But I can tell you in 2016, I worked like I never worked for any other candidate before in the general election for Hillary. And I was completely devastated uh, after that, so much so that I drove to North Dakota and spent several weeks at Standing Rock to kind of, I don't know, relieve my anxiety or something. I just found it unbelievable. And of course, it has been unbelievable ever since. But the fact is, is that uh, you need to move on and re-engage. Bring with you everything that candidate taught you, every value you shared with that candidate. Do not give up on those. Um, you, will, you will survive uh, to, and live to fight for another day, but then move on and make the next best choice you can make for whatever the contest is. So if it was in a primary, uh, your heart was in a candidate and, and they didn't make the general election, then focus on that general election and do well by the candidate that you had supported. Most of those candidates are out there supporting somebody in the general. Follow their lead because you believed in them. 
they're not going to send you down the wrong path. So there, all I can tell you is there is hope even when the candidate that you love um, uh, doesn't, doesn't make it. Just continue the fight. The other thing I want to say is the year that uh, when Barack Obama won the – oh, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, when Barack Obama won the uh, general election and Michelle Obama, who was criticized for this, which I, I was very upset about, she said it was uh, she was the most proud of the United States with his election as president. I felt she was talking to me personally because I never I, I agreed with her 100 percent. I was never more proud of this country than I was when they elected Barack Obama. And, uh, you know, we need to get that pride back. We need to be pride uh, we, we need to feel pride in who is uh, who are our leaders and faith that they are taking us in the right direction. And this that's why this election is so very, very, very important. It really goes to the core of what this country stands for. So my final message is, please vote. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lincoln. Richard, your final thoughts. Um, so I'm thinking about COVID-19, which we haven't talked much about, which is definitely changing this electoral process. And I'm thinking about wearing masks. Sometimes it's required, sometimes it isn't. I'm thinking about closing businesses. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. I'm thinking about opening or closing schools. And it's affected everybody's life in this country. And the people that you vote for make those decisions. So to say that my vote doesn't matter is to ignore kind of what's going on around us. Your vote does matter. The leaders that we elect make a difference in our lives. And the candidates may not all be perfect. They may not all be the ones that you most want, um, but they will affect your life. And so that is one of those things that, you know, you can take an action. Maybe you can get really involved in politics and electoral process, or maybe you just go and check a box, but it will have an impact on your life. And I think COVID-19 is a perfect example of how that happens. Thank you, Richard. Um, Gina put in the um, chat, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have. Um, a quote by John Lewis. Thank you, Gina. Um, Lisa, what are your, your final thoughts? Um, well, I did kind of um, put it in the chat as well, but I'll go ahead and just say it. Um, voting is very important. It is very important. And I think we should reimagine um, how we look at it. Uh, the voting process is every day. We do have a particular day that we go to the polls, but after we've cast that ballot, the process still continues. We need to stay engaged. We need to hold our elected officials accountable to their responsibility for handling our business. And, that's, um, and that is an everyday process. I am guilty of disconnecting from the process and living my life 
however I want to live my life, doing, you know, I'm grown, I do whatever I want to do, and not really making the connection that the things that I am able to do are because of this or because of that or the things that I'm not able to do are because of this or because of that. Staying engaged and understanding that the voting process is every day. We have to stay engaged and we have to hold our elected officials accountable. And then on election day, because we have watched and paid attention, we can go to the ballot box and say, you know what? Here is my voice on this issue right here, or here is my voice for today, but I'm going to keep in, engaged in the process. So I would say just get engaged in the process. It's life, and these things affect life. So that would be my thing. And it's a good life. Don't get me wrong. It's a good life. I know we got some challenges, but hey, we here, we breathing, we doing the dang thing. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Sandy, final thoughts. Well, look, the um, unfortunate reality is that there will be voter suppression. And the other part of the unfortunate couple of other parts of the reality is uh, they're going to try to mess with us. They're going to be making it difficult to vote by mail, and there will be mail delays. We're already seeing that. But there's only way, there's two ways, two ways to counter that, that reality. One is what we're doing now. We have to be influencers, all of us, because ultimately what we have to do by voting is to become part of that, <laughs> reminds me of a silly movie, part of that mighty wind that is going to blow all that nonsense away. So we have to vote to become part of that. More than a breeze, we have to become a wind, a tornado, hurricane, and blow that away. Hmm. Thank you, Sandy. Um, Deatra. Um, thank you. I just want to say it was a pleasure to um, sit on this panel with such dynamic voices. So thank you for the invite. Um, I would just say that we have to uh, reconstruct this idea that voting is this um, esoteric phenomenon that's just meant for the privileged, right? And I think by doing that, we have to start educating. And I know it's been said um, by several people on this panel, we have to be responsible for educating, passing the education on and um, finding ways to, to, to express the importance of voting um, that matters to people. So, you know, um, with this social uprising um, that's happening now, talking about the, um, the the court systems and how police officers are not held accountable. Well, if you look at your DAs and your sheriffs and your ch police chiefs, in a lot of states, those are elected positions. And if they're not elected, they're appointed by an elected official. So bringing it down to those levels to make people understand, we are responsible for 
some of these things that are happening because we're not voting. We're not putting people in these offices that can, um, you know, hold, hold people accountable and not uh, perpetuate this, um, these two justice systems that has been happening in this country forever. And also just understanding voter suppression, in my opinion, is about uh, economics and power, just like everything else, right? And so we have to begin to really understand that it's more to it than just simply, um, you know, you know, going to the the, the uh, voter box and just checking off names. We got to really dig in, understand how our society is functioning, what is not working, and who's going to best represent us. So it's vital to vote, yes but it's also vital to have that knowledge and information so that we can truly start making changes in the way our uh, government is operating. Thank you, Dee. Um, Mira. Um, I think my closing thoughts are, the last thing, when, whenever we were on a campaign, we were turning out people to vote, you always ask people to make a plan. What is your plan for voting? But I would challenge you, me, everyone to reframe that and say, what is your ritual around voting? Uh, I think, you know, Sharon, you're talking about how your ritual was upset where you would go to the poll and you'd get your sticker and then everyone would know that you voted that day. And um, so as a mail-in state, I think my ritual this year is I'm gonna pour a couple nice glasses of wine and we're gonna take our mail-in ballots and we're gonna sit in front of the, sit on the, the desk and I'm gonna have my computer up and we're gonna look up all the hot gossip on all of these candidates and we're gonna argue about them and we might vote for different people, who cares, but we're gonna do it. And I'm gonna turn voting this year into date night and it's going to be so fun. And I am gonna turn my ballot in with pride and feel really good about the fact that I've gone through the action of voting. And the final thing, final, final thing is I would say, always look out for your AG race, your attorney general's race. Uh, I often joke to my partner that if I were to run for any office, I would run for attorney general because they have a ridiculous amount of power. So never let that one sit. That one's real critical. Thank you, Mira. Um, and thank all of you for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you to the audience for being with us. If you would like to continue the conversation, um, please um, visit our Instagram page at uh, dialogue.americanmosaic and our Facebook page at dialogue.americanmosaic. Our next event will be um, Saturday uh, the 29th and it will be jobs where did they where did they go if you have um if you're interested in being in the panel or you know someone that should be on that panel the only requirement is to be human and to have a story um and we all have a story to tell please um direct messengers messenger us at one of our social media sites also um i just want to say that um this right here and how we came together from different walks of life, from different regions, from um, different experiences um, is how we should be having conversations um, across our country. And if you can bring yourself 
to come to the table, to have a sensible conversation. We didn't argue in this conversation. Um, yes, we all believe in voting, so that made it easier. Um, but um, this is what growing and being a community is about, is about being willing to have the conversation. So no matter where you are, um, no matter who you're with, um, start sharing your story and maybe they'll start and start listening to their story. And maybe you can have some common ground on what's important. And, um, and that is all of our voices are as important as they come. Um, no matter what you do and how you do it, um, it is important, but we do have choices. So my question to you is what choice will you make for the country and for yourself as an individual? Um, John, I pass it back to you to have the final words. Yeah, I want to thank everybody. Uh, I think this has been amazing. And I was going to add one thing in, um, I think it's really important in voting, this idea of voting is, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm a baby boomer. Baby boomers don't count anymore. It's, it's the young <laughs> I'm sorry, Lincoln. Okay. Um, but it's, uh, why do we vote? And, and we vote for ourselves, a lot of people. And we've assumed that country is okay for so many years. The country's fine. It'll all work out. So we, and we don't think about voting country. And I think now we really have to think about our country. And that goes to a lot of things we were just talking about as the civics and other things. Why do we have this privilege? Yeah. Do we really care about our country? So um, that's part of the decision. Think about country, think about yourself, but think about the country because we live in the country. Um, thank everybody. This is amazing. Great panel, lots of good stuff. Um, thank you very much, Sharon, for and one last thing, John, this conversation will be available, made available oh. on YouTube. And yeah. um, John will also turn it into a podcast. Yeah. So please look for it um, and please share it far and wide because I am sure that this is one of the best conversations you've ever heard about voting. <laughs> thank you, Sharon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everyone have a the best day that you can possibly have. And... Uh, take care of yourself. Deuces. Thanks, everybody. I hope you'll be inspired to have uh, conversations uh, on the subject of voting with uh, everybody. It's very, very important. And uh, thank you so much for listening.